0: This is life. Moments of deep sadness mixed with moments of great joy. The the trials, the heartache, and the blessings at the same time. Today is a day where we want to honor dads. want to help us today through God's word honor fatherhood. And restore our joy that we have as a church for what fatherhood is and its different forms of what fatherhood takes. One of the old adages around ministry is that if you want an uplifting message from a pastor, go on Mother's Day. If you want a downer of a message, go on Father's Day. (laughs) That's not today. One of the strange aspects of my job is helping families pay their respects to people that I never met. Lives that I never saw, personalities I never experienced, you know, passions that I never encountered. I've been shepherding families through loss for over, you know, a decade now, and I find that the best men have the best funerals. I know that in those moments of you know, life's reflections and services where we're honoring someone who has passed. I I know we're honoring someone who used their life well when his kids stand up in front of everyone else and say, he was the best dad. When when their kids get on the screen and say, I can't wait for my kids to know the stories about my dad, right? You you get a sense for what type of person that guy was. But even more, I know the type of greatness of a man when a complete stranger will stand up and speak at that same moment and say, y'all don't know me, but he was like a father to me that's an incredible statement. In a funeral that, you know, someone laying here in a casket demonstrated their support, their concern, their love to someone who wasn't actually his own son or daughter. That's the type of guy he was, they say, like a father to me. And in those moments, when we honor good men, I leave those moments thinking, I want to be a good man. We know what a good man is when we look at him and when we honor him, but if I were a betting man, I would put my money on the fact, which I'm not, by the way, just to clear that up, but if I were, I would put my money on the fact that most dads today think that they're failing. I don't know a dad who has ever thought he spent enough time with his kids or imprinted enough of his personality in them or kept enough of his personality from getting into them kept his safe from emotional harm, or has led them to follow Jesus more passionately. I don't know that guy. Even one of Kristen's uh, family members, one of my extended family members, uh, runs a ministry to help dads be this type of guy. And one day I asked him, like, man, that's so, so cool, like, you're helping dads be better dads. Why do you do this? He goes, man, because I need to be a better dad, and doing this helps me think about being a better dad, because I'm not a great dad. I was like, dude, the name of your ministry is Dad Awesome you are dad awesome. How are you not the most awesome dad? But I think parents, especially dads, are prone to suffer from low-grade guilt. It's to compound our shame, a cursory glance through the Bible doesn't help us as dads anymore either. Look at all the dads of the Bible. What happened to Adam? He's kicked out of the garden, and then we don't hear from him at all. We just get to see his kids fight and fracture. Jacob's kids mess with Jacob so badly. Moses' dad doesn't get to raise him. Eli the priest's kids are hooligans. David's kids try to overthrow him and kill him. Zechariah is a priest who has such little faith that God makes him mute during Elizabeth's pregnancy. Even Joseph... The father of Jesus, the foster father of Jesus, is only present in Jesus' life as a boy. And then, where did he go? We don't know. I dare you to point to a a father in the Bible that is doing good work in his family. They're incredibly hard to find. In fact, not many fathers in the scriptures would we lift up today as like, you know, Mr beaver, you know, it's the leave it to beavers, is beaver cleaver was his last name. Mr. Cleaver, you got to get the last name right. They're incredibly hard to find. And in fact, we're told only in scripture how to raise and teach and love our children and our wives in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there aren't many fathers to look up to. Why? Why is that? I think I have an answer for that question. I want to Have us walk through one passage of uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 we will be in verses 14 through 21 uh, this morning. Um, I want to read these to you out loud. Listen as I read. Paul says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you, you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many Father's. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you then be imitators of me. Now, we've taught so many times, you don't just parachute your way into the middle of a text, you kind of got to know what is being said around what you're studying. And so just to give us the backdrop, 1 Corinthians serves as both a how-to manual for the Christian community as well as a swift, swift rebuke for careless living that abuses graces. 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 is really talking about the purpose that pastors have and the ways in which they relate to the congregation. That Paul has had to tell them not to to hitch their faith to a celebrity pastor, so to speak, saying, Some, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. Paul says, No, that's not the right attitude. We we follow Christ, He's our foundation. And he says, what then are the apostles or the pastors or the ministers in the church? They're stewards of the mysteries of God, he says in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then in verse 9, he says, they are spectacles to the world. That's verse 9. Noting that they have not the luxuries nor the prestige of the world, though they represent the grace of God to the world. And this is what Paul's saying then when he turns and says, I'm not writing to you to make you feel ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And get this today, dads. Our goal is not to shame you, but to admonish you. Amen. Some of us don't know what the difference is, though, because um, shame, you know, shame is the tool that the devil uses to twist truth into lies that we ourselves bury deep inside of us, and it causes us to act out of fear and insecurity, not out of the boldness of the gospel that God has put inside of us. And Paul saying, I'm not writing to you to make you feel insecure, but rather to admonish you. Admonish. So, so y'all, we don't... We don't admonish. Some people think admonishment means encouragement, but no, encouragement is nicer. Um, admonish, it's a compound Greek word. It literally means to place into your mind. We say it this way, let me put this stone in your shoe. Have you ever heard someone say that? Saying like, I want to put something in front of you. I want to plant this seed in your mind. I want to put the stone in your shoe that you can't get rid of. It's going to bother you, and you're going to think about it. I remember once a few years ago, a nice family in our previous church. It was no one here would ever dare do this. Um, this is an Illinois thing. <laughs> but they made us a meal, Krista and I, a meal. They brought it to our, our home. It was like amazing. It was amazing. She was like Rachel Ray on steroids. And um, we had just had a, a you know a newborn that week, the first kid that you know we had had, and we were in the throes of trying to figure it out, trying to figure out do we ever sleep. Managed the baby blur, and um, the next week passed, they brought us this meal, the next week passed, I saw them at church, and um, this gentleman came up to me, he put his arm around me, I was a very young, you know, 26-year-old man, and he put his arm around me, he said, hey, how was the meal that my wife made for you guys, and I was like, oh my goodness, it is so good, and I was about to say, you know, I wrote you a thank you card, and it's in the mail, but he cut me off, he said, hey, next time someone makes you a meal, don't wait a week to send the thank you card. Thank you, Right, you're like, I, I want to go stop it now. I can't, I can't undo the postal service. In that moment, I didn't take it as offensively as I presented it to you, though. In that moment, I took it for what it was, an admonishment. Hey, hey, think about this. This is an instructive moment for you. Next time someone does something incredibly nice for you like that, just be sure that you reciprocate something to them. And so that is the fine line between shame and admonishment. Paul is telling us, I don't want there to be any confusion here. And as a compassionate minister of the gospel, he says, look at these words might sting, but they're not to wound you, rather they're to improve you. Why? We'll look back at verse 14 if you don't mind the end of it. He says, because you are as my beloved children. Children. And Paul didn't have any biological Children. So, the metaphor he's using is one of being a spiritual father. Verse 15, he explains, For though you have countless guides in Christ, if that was true then, boy, that is true today. You have countless guides in Christ. People who are saying this way to Jesus or this way to Jesus, he says, You don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I want to ask this question today How was Paul their spiritual father? I see three ways in which Paul was their spiritual father to believers in Corinth. You can follow my outline super simple today. Just first is this. He's the one who led them to faith in Jesus. How was Paul a spiritual father? He was the one who founded their faith. He was the one who brought them to Christ. We take the words of Jesus quite naturally when he said to to, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that to come to God means we must be born again. Born of the Spirit, John three chapter six says. If you follow along with us over Facebook Live these past couple of uh, weeks, we also did a, a, a study in First Peter, as a church. And First Peter chapter one verse twenty three tells us that we're also born again of the Word of God. When we come into the family of God, we are born by the Spirit and we are born by the Word. And so, who's the Father in that paradigm? Technically, God the Father is. But who does he use here on earth? He uses spiritual fathers. In this case, for the Corinthian church, it was Paul. Paul. The image that we see here is Paul standing by, not being a biological father, but bringing them to have faith in Christ. You've got lots of people guiding you, but only one one person has brought you to Christ. And so there's this special relationship that Paul has with the church in Corinth. How did Paul become their spiritual father in Christ? Well, he preached the gospel to them. There was no church in Corinth before the apostle Paul got there. He planted the church. He founded the ministry. He heralded the mercies of the gospel of God, becoming man, dying on the cross, reconciling us to God, resurrecting from the dead, defeating the power and the presence of sin, offering us new hope on earth today and the earth to come. There's no doubt that God used Paul to bring into being the church in Corinth. And as a father, Paul was relationally investing in their maturity and their growth, as well as their security and their needs being met. And this is the way he was approaching these believers. He wasn't coming at them with his apostolic, prophetic weight, saying, don't you know who I am? I'm Paul, the apostle. No, he says, look, you guys know who I am. I'm the one who preached the, the word to you. I'm the one who, who loves you. I, I spent time with you. I man, we started this together It's a spiritual, spiritual father. But listen, I think Paul also recognized there are limits to this earthly relationship of spiritual fatherhood. What I mean is that I don't think Paul would want to take credit for the church being planted. Why? Because again, John 3 and, and, and 1 Peter 1, people come to faith and are born again by the Spirit and the Word. It's the work of God. So Paul's not trying to say, if it wasn't for me, y'all wouldn't exist. (laughs) How many people believe that um, this congregation would have been what it is uh, had Dan Jacobson not come in 2015? I do. You want to know why? Because a minister is nothing. God's message is everything. God is going to do what God is going to do. He invites us along the way and provides for us an incredible amount of relationships that allow us to spur one another on towards love and good works. So Paul doesn't take credit for their conversion. That's why he says, look okay, at it back in the text, he says uh, that, that I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. By preaching the gospel, glorifying Jesus, you became Christians and I have this special relationship in your life. Not only does fatherhood not mean that he deserves credit for the conversion, but it also doesn't place the new believers under some special authority. And I want to just sit here for a second because in Northwest Indiana, some of the churches around here have been really weird about this. And I I know some of you have come from churches where pastors have really lorded over their authority over their congregation. And I just want to remind you of the Bible for a second, if we can. Um, God doesn't give us spiritual fathers for them to be our spiritual authority. What I mean is, it is not up to one man or a woman in your life to tell you the will of God. That has been given to us right here. We ought to be really suspicious of people who throw around their position, whether that's a pastor of a church or an elder in the church or a deacon in the church or a, you name it, listen to me because I'm your dot, dot, dot. We should be always pushing people back to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the supremacy of his word. And so Paul, as the spiritual father, is not the one being boastful saying, hey, I own you, do what I say. No, he's coming alongside of them as a father, as a father. You know, what's crazy about a father, I didn't pick any three of my kids. The first one I got was a girl, but I wanted a boy. And then I had a girl, and I wanted another girl, but I got a boy. Did I say that backwards? I wanted a boy, but I got a girl. And then I got a girl, then I wanted a boy, but I got a, I got a boy. And then I wanted another girl, and I got another boy. All three of my kids were opposite of what I wanted. I loved them dearly, with all my heart, more than I ever imagined I could. I think Paul is, in the relationship of spiritual fatherhood, also saying, like I, can't, I, I can preach the word to everyone, but I can't choose who's going to respond. And so in this church, as a spiritual father, I'm just being faithful to the people God has put in front of me. And brothers and sisters, this means you. So here we see Paul giving us this category of a spiritual father. How does it work? Well, it works when one person leads another person to the gospel, to believing faith. There is a unique relationship that's established that Paul says is like fatherhood. It's not hierarchical, but rather mutual encouragement that the Lord can use to bring about more growth. How did Paul become a father? He led them to Jesus. So that's what I want to just push deep into our hearts right now. I don't think there's a greater blessing in this life than to be used by God to bring someone who was dead through the mercies of God to life in Christ by sharing the hope of the gospel. I think when a young man or a young woman, some of you kids have friends on the block and you are able to tell them about the church you go to and the God that you worship, and when you tell them and they say, I want to know more about him, and they start coming to church and believing in Christ too, you are becoming like a parent even though you may be young. Some of of us here are uh, single. Some of us here uh, are married but don't have kids. And in fact, God has used throughout history single men and women and parents who didn't have their own biological kids in incredible ways to have spiritual children. How does it happen? It happens when we lead people to Jesus. So dads, if I can speak to you in this room right now, here's one cue that we get from Paul in in our priorities, not just as a spiritual father, but as a biological father. Dads, this is so simple, but this has to be said today. Lead your kids to Jesus that's your job. Your job is just to lead your kids to Jesus. Tell them the story about God the creator, man the rebellious, Jesus the savior, and our future glory. Show them grace and mercy and love. Model for your kids forgiveness. You want to cut through all the chaos of our world today? Talk to your teenage kid about one of your own failures and then Ask them if they will forgive you. Sounds impossible. I'm the dad. I gotta be the guy. I gotta keep the law and order in my home. No, you know what you gotta do, you gotta show them grace. You gotta lay down your life the way that Jesus laid down his life. Why? Because you're showing, you're modeling, you are becoming an image of the gospel in your family. And that's what we do, dads. Show your kids, Jesus. Teach them, paint the picture for them, implore them, even admonish them. Paul preached the gospel to them. That's the first way he was a father to the Corinthians. But the second way is found in verse 16 where we see that Paul was an example for them. This is the second thing. Paul was an example. As a spiritual father, he was an example to his spiritual children. Look at it with me in verse 16. He says, I urge you then be, what's that word? Imitators of me. Not, there might not be a more out-of-touch verse in the Bible than this verse right here. Part of the appeal of snowflake world is that you don't have to imitate anyone. You do you, right? We have this rebellious individualism today that dig deep enough is actually sheepishly following the patterns of this world and imitating someone, but it presents itself as new and fresh. And I think one of the first memes I ever saw in the category of memedom was uh, it just simply said, just remember you're unique and special just like everyone else. I think deep down, we don't want to intimidate or in- imitate anyone. We want to live our life at an- another level than those who are around us. I think if Paul put this on Twitter today, you could not imagine the backlash. We don't like people who tell us to do like they do. They're proud, they're arrogant. Who does this guy think he is to tell us to do like he does? Well, exactly. Who is he? He's Paul. He's your spiritual father who cares deeply about your growth in the Lord. Don't you want a dad in your life who tells you in all humility and all sincerity, please, it would make me proud if you grew up to be like me. Instead, the world is full of dads who use the phrase, Do as I say, not as I do. I don't think Paul's being arrogant when he says, be imitators of me. I think he's being incredibly humble. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 later makes this point incredibly clear. He says this. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Not that I have it all figured out, but I'm imitating the one who our faith is founded on. And if you need a picture of what that looks like, just look at me because I'm trying to imitate him. It's such a great picture because to imitate something, you have to know it so well. I love One of my favorite bits of comedy is um, impressions. I love watching people do impressions of famous actors or politicians. I think SNL does it incredibly well. People who do these imitations, I'm told, spend lots of time watching the nuances and studying the actual real person so that they can get it right, and then they accentuate their peculiarities. Paul can only say, imitate me. Because he has a relationship with these people, but he's also saying, you know me, and you know that I know Christ. You know the amount of time and attention that I've put in my life, prioritizing my relationship with God. You know that I'm not just trying to follow the whims of the world and be politically savvy. You know that I'm trying my hardest to know Christ crucified. He says, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Christ. What we need more of our in our society is imitation and less regurgitation. Imitation is based on relationship. Regurgitation is just simply based on agreement. Too many Christians today are living life just regurgitating ideologies that aren't consistent with the Bible because we've neglected the discipleship process in our churches. And just let me pause on that for a second. Because as a pastor over this flock, even as a spiritual father to some of you. I want you to hear me loud and clear that I have to repent of failing to, to help us disciple each other well. We've been here for five years preaching the Bible, trying to help us grow along and, and do life together. We've been through some hard things. We've been through some great things. We're going through some great things. and It pains me to see the shallowness of our theology as it's displayed on Facebook these days. As a spiritual father to this congregation, I just want you to know I'm sorry. I can't help but feel that I have failed you in some regard. And I also want you to know that moving forward, our intention as a staff and as elders and and as as, as our church is to help us see Jesus more clearly. Clearly. One of the realities that's playing itself out in our current context is a reality that I think we failed to live in such a way as ministers that inspires you to imitate us. If I could to be honest with you, I've been really afraid of stepping into this pulpit and acting a certain way that the pastor on a pedestal syndrome would be true here. Do you know what that is? It's when the people see a person doing Christ like things and then they automatically elevate that person to the point where they don't think that person sins. We do this. We all do this, whether it's a favorite author you have or a favorite pastor you have. And then, shock horror, that person has a sin and we're all like, no. (laughs) What? (laughs) They're human? As a way to spare you from that, I've tried to live my life as openly and as humbly amongst you as possible. But if I've been too cavalier in the midst of that, I'm sorry. I'm not entirely sure if I could tell you imitate Christ as you imitate me, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I hope you understand my fear in the midst of that, but I also think that this is a convicting verse for all of us. Not just pastors, not just fathers, but all of us. Have you failed to inspire one another to imitate you as you imitate Christ? What does it mean to be an imitator of me as I am of Christ? What is that? Paul is saying it's follow me up the mountain of Jesus' majesty. It's who cares about anything other than knowing Christ and having fellowship in his sufferings. It's let's all go together and behold the wondrous majesty of our Savior who is our life. But instead of pursuing Christ in one another, I think we've punted our growth as disciples of Jesus. And instead we've prioritized our growth as disciples of don't shoot me, but of conservatism or our growth as disciples of whatever academic discipline you're into or, or as our growth of disciples of pop culture or as our growth of disciples of progressivism or whatever it is that you've chosen to sink your life into. And when we lean into worldly philosophy without critical theology, you only, which you only get through relational discipling, the result is a world in which we all just regurgitate positions and stances and slogans which divide and don't heal. You're looking for a way to sort your way through the chaos of life right now in our culture. It's not by understanding the issues more. It's by following me as I follow Christ. It's through relational discipleship. It's by understanding that in the body of Christ, we are truly a family that needs one another. I I have a tremendous privilege in my position here because I can call up the police and they'll answer my call. And I can call up our Latino brothers and sisters. They'll answer my call. And I'll call up members of our Gary campus who are African-American, and they'll answer my call. And we've been sitting down lately as brothers of the same family, you know, as light bulbs in the same board. It's a dumb illustration. (laughs) And here's what I found is that relationships cause us to want Jesus more, and they don't entrench us in our ideologies. When I sit down from someone who's a police officer to hear the just challenge of their lives today. This past week, I was able to sit with the police chief of Hobart and detectives in Hobart and some of our officers from Hobart and sit, and they made a mistake, and so I'm not angry about that. And we heard how hard it is to go to work these days. And when we we all sit down together with brothers and sisters who are uh, African-Americans who have told us how hard it is to build their life and flourish here today, all of a sudden, the slogans disappear, and we can say, brothers, I care about your lives. I care about how God would have you flourish in this. And how do we get that? Paul says it's through spiritual fatherhood. Paul says it's through relationships with one another. Paul says it's when we actually pursue Christ and then we share those relationships with other people to pursue Christ. What was Paul's example that they were to imitate? Let's go back just a couple of verses in your app or in your Bible to verse 10 of chapter four. This is, I think, what Paul is saying. Look at what he says. His example is to them. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. These are perceptions that the Corinthians had about the apostles and about the Christians. So Paul's saying, we, the apostles, are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are held, or you are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly distressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are. Like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Follow me as I follow Christ. Happy Father's Day. Become like the scum of the world. What is that? That's Paul saying that in another place of the Bible, he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That it is worth it no matter what it costs you to pursue Christ's likeness. Look what he says. He says, imitate me in all of these things. This is not quite the think about X issue this way type of thing that we do. Where pastors tell you, hey, here's our Christians to think about this thing and whatnot. Only someone who has spent time with one another and cultivated a relationship with another could have any type of influence or credibility to say to the other person, imitate me and actually expect people to follow. So dads, Um, This is part of the Christian call to be a father. Do you live your life in such a way that your kids see you take hits for Jesus? Like, has your faith in God cost you anything? Have your kids seen you hungry for God? Have your kids seen you turn the other cheek? Have your kids seen you endure tough things? I think we live in a different culture today than the one that Paul wrote to. I think hostility against Christians might be higher than ever today in America, but it doesn't even register on the Richter scale of what happened in Paul's day. At the same time, I think the principle here is the same. Paul was a spiritual father to the Corinthians and how he showed them what it looks like to live out your faith in Jesus. So Paul founded the faith of the Corinthians. He was an example uh, to model Christ-likeness. And here's the third way Paul was a spiritual father to the Corinthians. It's, It's this, found in verses 18 through 21. This is interesting. He says, some are arrogant, puffed up, you know, full of themselves, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their, what's that word? Power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Man, one day I'm going to preach a sermon on that verse right there. Paul then asked, and check this out, if you, if you can zoom in on your Bible, do that. What do you wish, he says? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? It had been some time since Paul had actually been in Corinth and the community, uh, in the community were some people who were challenging his teaching because he was absent. They were causing problems, they were persisting in sin, they were provoking distrust with Paul. They suggested that Paul didn't really care about them. He wasn't really ever going to come back to them. They could do whatever they wanted. In fact, now that we know what's right, you should listen to us. Um, they were the type of people who would say things like, not in my neighborhood. I'd like to try and see him come back here and tell me I'm wrong. And Paul said it's one thing to talk. It's another thing to try and back up your talk. He says that the power of the kingdom of God is not in the talk. It's in the power of what? Of the Spirit. The power of our church is the Holy Spirit as he uses his word to cause us to see and to worship Jesus. One of the reasons I want you to keep coming back, even if you have to put a mask on your face, is because when we gather together, the power that is present in this place causes our hearts to be realigned to that gospel truth about who Jesus is. I'm sorry, I don't get that over a live stream. Daniel, no offense, he was on the live stream this morning and then he drove over here to lead this. I get it when I'm with you. The Spirit does that when I'm with you. I'm not saying the Spirit can't do that other places or when I'm at home, but I just get that here. So the power is the Spirit. The power of this age is selfish. Arrogant, selfish thinking. But Paul asks, what do you want? Do you want a rod or do you want love? And here's what he's saying. He's doing what any good father does. Paul, as a spiritual father, is correcting his children. This is what a spiritual father does. They correct their children. Any kids in here ever been corrected by your parents? My parents are right here. They tell you all the time they corrected me. Man, I have PTSD every time I correct one of my kids. I hear them coming through my mouth. It's crazy how that happens. How you approach your children in discipline often depends, though. Isn't this true? How you approach your child in discipline often depends on the posture that they take, right? You can be angry as ever and see your kid broken, and all of a sudden, you're broken. You can be angry as ever and see your kid not angry, and then you're even angrier, <laughs> right? Remember, uh, one of our kids, they, all of our kids respond differently in the midst of correction, one of our kids, all I had to do was mouth the word like this. I would go, and they would melt. And then I'd be like, oh, my goodness. Kristen would look at me and be like, stop beating our kid. I'm like, I am not even I just said. And he'd melt. That's all it took. Another one of our kids, that type of thing would push them to do it again to see if I'd get a stronger reaction. And Paul is not being a pushover here as he confronts these believers in their sin. Instead, he's insisting and being a faithful, loving Father, by saying I'm committed to your growth and I'm committed to your maturity. And isn't it better when our hearts have been soft so that our correction could come in gentleness and love rather than when our hearts have been so hardened and angry that the correction received is from the rod? Oh, for brothers and sisters in Christ who would have soft hearts towards sin and soft corrections towards one another. Paul was a father by his faith. He was a father by his example. He was a father by his correction. I think his statement from verse 14 is just as true today as it was back then. You may have many guides in Christ, but you have not many fathers. This all reminds me of the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23. I'll just close with this. He he said to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, correcting them, he said, but you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have, say it with me, one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Not many fathers, because we have one father who is in heaven. Ultimately, he is the one who has caused us to be born again by faith into his family. Ultimately, he is the one who has showed us how to live by his son. Ultimately, he is the one by whose rod and his staff they comfort us. Not many fathers, one father. He is our father. On on earth here, we simply get to imitate him as we raise up one another to know and love and trust this one father of all.